0: Now, I'm going to show you some, this is uh, some of our activities, just a few pictures from the things we have been doing since I was here with you last time. This is just to give you an update, uh, this is in Uyole, uh, uh, no, Muheza in Tanzania, and uh, altar call there. As you can see, the, Tanzania is a new country for us. I was there about 20 years ago, but that doesn't really count, so... But what happened when this COVID thing came, I found out that Tanzania was the only country that uh, uh, we could go to and hold crusades because there's hardly any COVID there. And so we were going into Tanzania. So uh, this is one of our campaigns there. And uh, the next one is, this is in Uyole in Tanzania, right at the southern end of Tanzania, another crusade we did there. And the next picture, this is in, uh, no, I, you, I think we're showing the wrong PowerPoint, do you have the other one? This, this was an old one, an outdated one, do you have the other one? Yeah, right, I want to show you this one, that other one was from last year. So this is the latest Gospel Crusades. Now this is uh, Uyole, that's the last picture I showed you, but this was, should have been in this. Anyway, so this is at the southern end of Tanzania, Uyole, the next picture is this is from uh, our crusade in George in Zambia. And uh, you know you should have seen the excitement in that place because for three, two and a half years, almost three years, they have not had any gatherings. So when we came, I tell you, there was such excitement. And, uh, and the people just showed up and it was, it was fantastic. And so this is the altar call. And the next picture, Uh, This is in, um, uh, the first one was in George Compound. This one's in, a well, another town close by, as you can see. Again, it was a sea of people who came to hear the gospel and be saved. And the next picture, uh, this is in Kalingalinga. And what happened was this. uh, I wonder why the picture is so fuzzy. It's out of focus. But... What I want you to know that these, this picture and the next picture are from the last crusade we did in Tanzania. And uh, you know I've, I've just come back from there and it was so cold. It was bitterly, bitterly cold because in the daytime the temperature was around 70, 74 degrees. But at night the temperature would dip. It was just a few degrees above freezing. And then you had this cold, icy wind that would blow. So the first night, the crowd was so small, I was just wondering where it was headed. But then God began to move and miracles began to happen. People began to come. So this was one crusade. And the next picture? Uh, Okay, so this is our team in Africa, our Africa crusade team. And the next one, uh, this was a woman who, uh, who was both completely deaf and she had, I think she was crippled or something. She got healed and she began to dance. And. Praise God. Then the next one is this, uh, this woman was completely blind and received her sight. And the next one is this was a crippled woman. Couldn't walk. She began to walk and began to dance. And the next one, uh, this, this was the local chief. You know, they have, the, uh, they have the government, but then they have the local tribal chiefs. And they are the ones who wield the real authority. So this was the local chief and he could not walk and was deaf in one ear and God healed him. And uh, the next one is uh, this man also, a young man who was completely blind, received his sight. And the next one, this was a child that could not, had never walked before and they began to, I picked him up, put him on the ground and he was running towards his mother. So this was beautiful. So the next one is... Are there any more pictures? Was that the last? I guess this was the last one. Well, this is just a few pictures to give you an idea of what we have been up to. We have been going full steam. I did one crusade in Argentina, and then, of course, we have been going to Africa. We're going to do we are going to do two crusades in an Asian country. I won't mention which one it is, except that your pastor has been going there, and. And, uh, but uh, we decided to move those to January next year. So next year we'll be doing six campaigns in Asia and eight in Africa and we'll see where else we go. Uh, So, you know, so it's all good. God is good. Amen. The Lord is good. We have a lot to be thankful for. And, uh, you know, we are healthy. We are well. People are getting saved. People are getting healed baptized with the Holy Spirit and that's the important thing now in these Crusades in um, in Zambia we had I mean the first two Crusades where I said the people were so excited this was like two months ago uh, we had we had 20,000 baptized with the Holy Spirit in, in one service in in the first town then second town was the same thing 20,000 so we had 40,000 baptized with the Holy Spirit in these two towns and so there's a uh, Tremendous excitement. I'm leaving now for Tanzania, for northwestern Tanzania, in an area which has a lot of Muslims and a lot of witchcraft. And, uh, and the Assemblies of God of Tanzania have asked me, can you come, please, and do some crusades there uh, because uh, it's, a, it's, it's a tough area and uh, help us break through. We, they already have some churches, but they want to plant more churches. The Assemblies of God just finished something called the Decade of Pentecost, in which in 10 years they planted more than 10,000 churches. So they said, we want to have 35,000 churches. So, you know, when you planted 10,000 churches, 35,000 isn't such a big goal. So that's, that's where I'm helping them. We are doing this. Then we are training about 500 pastors. Uh, this will be the week after next. So... It's all good. Praise God. Let's go to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. I want to talk to you about something very simple, about following Jesus. How many of us want to follow Jesus? Because you see, to be a Christian isn't just to uh, believe in Christian teaching and doctrine. Some people think that, you know, is it, to be a Christian is to... Is, is to believe what the church believes or, or what Christianity believes. But to be a Christian, uh, it has nothing to do with a set of beliefs. It has to do with a person, Jesus Christ, yeah. to receive him and follow him. Uh, a few years ago, I was in California and I met this lady. She's a very well-known figure on TV, even has even appeared on CNN and Christian TV and her name is Wafa Wafa Sultan I believe her name is she's a a psychiatrist and she speaks on the Islamic world and all that and she's like a uh, she loves to come to church but she hasn't professed Christ but she was a strong Muslim and she left Islam and she asked me what made you leave Islam And, and I was thinking what made me leave Islam? And I answered I said I didn't really leave Islam I came to Jesus. That's what happened. It's not that I studied Islam and I decided, okay, no, this is not good enough. I'm going to reject it. And then, no, so I rejected this. What do I look, f- what do I believe in? I never studied comparative religions and all that. It, I, I never left Islam. I, I believed in Jesus. Jesus did something in my life when I was messed up. I was suicidal, and I, I, I received the person of Jesus. I wasn't presented the gospel as a, as a set of beliefs. I was presented with a person of Jesus and the guy who witnessed to me, an Englishman, he said, if you invite this man, Jesus Christ, into your heart, he will change your life. And so I did, I actually asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. And he changed my life. So my encounter was with a person called Jesus Christ. And as I began to follow him, then Islam fell out of my life. THAT'S WHAT HAPPENED. So IT WASN'T THAT. SO I SAID TO HER, I DIDN'T REALLY, IT WASN'T A QUESTION OF LEAVING ISLAM. IT'S A QUESTION OF FOLLOWING JESUS. AND WHEN I FOLLOWED JESUS, uh, ISLAM LEFT OUT OF MY, KIND OF, YOU KNOW, OUT OF MY LIFE. THAT'S WHAT, AND I NEVER THOUGHT OF IT THAT WAY. BUT SHE REALLY MADE ME THINK THAT WAY. SO uh, YOU KNOW, WE SAY WE FOLLOW JESUS. IT'S NOT A QUESTION. Like, IN AMERICA, PEOPLE LIKE TO SAY, OH, HE GOT RELIGION. or so, you know, someone, 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 and, and uh, Pastor and I were discussing this yesterday. You know, there are different figures. Uh, I've heard up to 60% of Americans consider themselves born again. And Pastor, you had a figure of 38%. 38%. There's different figures. But you know that most of those people actually say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm born again, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the infallibility of the scriptures. I don't believe in the entire Bible. You have to interpret the Bible in in the light of modern day reality. And so, there are certain things in the Bible, uh, I, you know, I, I don't. And, and so, you, so, so people make up their own Christianity. You know, people make up it because it's convenient. It's nice to have Jesus around in your life. So, when, when you're in trouble, you know, he's the go-to man, you know. You're in trouble, you go to Jesus, but... but uh, it's not really about that. It's not about what you think, what I think, but it's really a question of following that man, Jesus, following Jesus. So anyway, uh, when, when I first got saved, I want to share with you the very first verse I ever saw in a Bible because uh, I got saved when I was 21 years old and I had never seen a Bible in my life. I grew up in a totally Muslim society, I had never seen a Bible, never set foot in a church and I had never met a Christian. Uh, uh, until uh, you know, I joined the military when I was 13 years of age. So until that age, I went to schools that were run by Roman Catholic nuns from Ireland, and I'll never forget that. I still, you know, they used to walk up and down the uh, classroom carrying these wooden rulers that were like yardsticks, and 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 boy, I used. I mean, they used to whack us. They were they were mean. Those nuns were mean, and. And, and I still get flashbacks when I see a wooden ruler. <laughs> it's like a PTSD thing, you know? And so I, I, so I remember, you know, and those nuns, they were strict and, you know, we, but the thing was that uh, above uh, the blackboard in every classroom, there was a crucifix. There was a man hanging upon that cross. And I remember sitting and looking at, those, uh, at that crucifix. You know, in every class, they had a crucifix. And wondering, uh, who is this man on the cross? And why is he upon that cross? What, what is it? But the nuns never taught us. Uh, we even had a, 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 a mullah, a Muslim priest, come uh, and give us Islamic lessons in that Catholic school. They taught us maths and geography and history and everything, but they never told me who that man was upon the cross. And I didn't dare ask because I was scared of those nuns. I don't know what they do, you know. So I just, so I had no idea. Can you imagine I went to school all those years without knowing who the man was upon that cross and what he was doing upon the cross. And when I got saved, I remember, I remember when I first found out who the man was upon that cross and why he was upon that cross, I was mad. I was mad because if they had just told me who that man was, And that he had died to save me. I would have been spared a lot of hardships and difficulties and misery that I went through in my life. If somebody had just told me. Because that man upon the cross would have made the difference in my life. Then, instead of now. Do you understand what I'm saying? I wish I could have been saved as a child. I would have been saved a lot of things that I went through. So... I realized that it, this is about following Jesus. So when I gave my life to Jesus, so I remember three days later, I met this uh, young, there was the, I remember there was a young man from America and a girl from Italy, and I, I told them, uh, you know, they were handing out tracts, and I said, listen, I gave my life to Jesus. I want to learn more. Can you help me? And I remember the man said, okay, sit down. And so I sat down on the chair next to him. We were inside the YMCA. And uh, he took out uh, a, a book bound in burgundy leather, a small book, and he said, this is a Bible. And I was 21 years of age. That, this was the first time in my life that these eyes had ever seen a Bible. And he opened the Bible and he said, I want you to read this. And, uh, and I said, sir, uh, you know, in Islam, you're not allowed to touch holy books with unwashed hands. He said, no, it's okay. You can touch the book. So I held the book and he said, do you know the conditions for following Jesus? So he said, do you want to follow Jesus? I said, yes. He said, do you know the conditions for following Jesus? I said, I didn't know there were conditions because I I received Jesus. I feel cleansed on the inside. I feel like uh, something very radical has happened in my life in the past three days and that's why I'm here. He said, no, there are conditions to following Jesus. And so I, he opened the Bible to Luke chapter nine, and he put his finger on this verse and asked me to read it aloud three times. And it says here, Luke 9:23, this was the first verse that I ever saw and read in the Bible. And he said unto them, all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. So I read it three times, and he said, "So you do you see the conditions for following Jesus?" I said, "Well, it says that if I have to follow Jesus, I have to deny myself." He said, "Are you willing to do that?" I said, "Yeah, I can do that. You know, I was in the military for uh, since I was thirteen, so denying yourself—that's simple." He said, "Are you willing to take up your cross daily and follow?" follow him. I said, I don't know what that means. He said, in the days of Jesus, if you ever saw a man carrying a cross, uh, you knew that he was being led to his place of execution. So, to take up your cross daily means to be willing to physically die, be killed. And that too, every single day. You should be ready to lay down your life. Because you see, that kind of thing in a Muslim country, in the Muslim world, that's a reality. The fact that you can be killed for following Jesus. It may sound strange to Americans, but for us who grew up in that part of the world, that is a reality. If you leave Islam, uh, you know, you're leaving a religion that says that apostasy is punishable by death, and you begin to follow Jesus, you can be killed. That's the stark reality. So he says... Uh, well, what he says that you have to, to follow Jesus, one of the conditions is that you have to take up your cross, being willing to die every day. And if you're not willing to die for him, you're not fit to live for him. Just think of it. <coughs> he said, if you're not willing to die for your faith, you, you cannot call yourself a Christian. It is all or nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought of it and I said, sir... Four years ago, we went to war, and when I was uh, uh, and 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 you know and and we were told that um, if you die in a holy war, you're going to go to heaven. And I said, I did that. I I was willing to die. So, but I realized that all that was for nothing, and now I'm going to follow Jesus. And if I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And what could be greater than that? So. I'm willing to die if that's what it costs for me to follow Jesus. So he said, then you can follow Jesus. That's what it took. And that's what Jesus said. If you want to follow me, you should be willing to die. And even as I speak, there are people all over the world, Christians who are dying for their faith. Christians are being killed for their faith in China, in Korea, IN INDIA, IN PAKISTAN, IN AFGHANISTAN, IN uh, SAUDI ARABIA, ALL OVER THE MIDDLE EAST. I MEAN IN CHINA, I MEAN ALL OVER THE WORLD PEOPLE ARE BEING KILLED FOR THEIR FAITH BUT THEY HAVE BEEN GIVEN AN OPTION. DO YOU WANT TO GO BACK TO YOUR OLD RELIGION THAT YOU WERE BORN IN OR DO YOU WANT TO FOLLOW JESUS? BECAUSE IF YOU FOLLOW JESUS, You will die, but if you go back to Islam or whatever it is that you came out of, you're going to live and people choose death because they know that they have a better and eternal dwelling because heaven is real. People are willing to die because heaven is more real than this earth. And so if you look at Jesus, the claims of Jesus are sometimes outrageous to American ears. He wants everything. Now you won't hear television preachers say this. They'll promise you automobiles and a good life. Do you understand what I'm saying? But it's not about being a better you and having a better life. So that is what Jesus is like. He says, if any man will come after me, well, you have to be willing to die. Are you ready to die? Are you willing to take up your cross? Every day, not just once. Every day. And follow me. So Jesus called people not just to believe in him, not just to play lip service to him as their Lord. Sometimes, you know, we, we like to say, okay, Jesus says is your savior, but is he your Lord? And people say, oh yeah, he's my Lord. But that's also lip service. Right? He goes beyond that savior versus lord thing. He says, do you want to follow me? Do you want to follow me? Do you want to follow me are you willing to die for me? That's where he takes it. So if you break up this verse the first says first few words are if any man he's giving it to us as an option. It's a choice. Nobody's forcing anybody. Nobody's forcing anybody. Jesus says, if any man will come after me, that means that he is giving us a choice. Do I want to follow Jesus or not? Well, I made my choice. On the 13th of December, 1975, I made my choice. I made my choice. I want to follow Jesus. And To say that I want to follow Jesus, it included that part about being willing to die. So firstly, it's a choice. It's not pushed on anybody by force. If any man will come after me, it's your choice. Nobody's forcing you. Then it says, deny yourself. If any man will come after me, let him deny yourself. That means a life of self-denial and sacrifice. A life of self-denial and sacrifice. But here's the thing. It is in that self-denial and sacrifice that God blesses us with all things. Do you understand what I'm saying? The blessings of God, we are, like the brother was talking about before the offering, was talking about prosperity and all that. The prosperity and blessings from God don't come because of the self-life. They come because of the crucified life. That's where the real blessings are. Self-denial, living a life of self-denial, a life of sacrifice because you know that whatever you have in this world is temporal. And that's why sometimes we got to uh, sit by, you know, sit back and think, what are the things in my life that have eternal value? What are the things that I have that I have accumulated that I can take with me? And I, I realize really there's nothing that, you know, I have a house, I have a car, I've got a, uh, you know, I've got DVD and I've got TV. I, you know, I've, I've, I've got everything I need. I, I, I'm, I'm happy with what I have, but I have everything I live to uh, need to live a comfortable life. But all those things I cannot take with me. When it's time for me to go and you come to my, if, if any of you makes it to my funeral and they put me in a hearse, my hearse will not be pulling a U-Haul trailer. <laughs> and I, so I begin to think, what are the things that I can, I can take with me? Well, there's two things. I can lay up my treasures in heaven. And that is by giving my earthly possessions to the cause of the gospel. Because when I give my earthly treasures to the cause of the gospel, and those earthly treasures are converted, used to win souls, so I can have treasure in heaven. And the other thing I can take with me are the souls that I win for Jesus. When I win someone for Jesus, I know they are going with me. I'm not going to leave them behind. Amen. Amen. The military has a slogan No man left behind. Let the church also take it. Amen. No man left behind. We're not going to leave anybody Hallelujah. unchanged. We're going to preach the gospel to everybody. Amen. Amen. And then, so the firstly, if any man, it's a choice. Secondly, deny yourself, a life of self denial and sacrifice. Then the third thing is take up your cross, be willing to die. Be willing to lay down your life. The lordship of Jesus demands everything. Really, Jesus not even said that. I mean, he said, he went even farther. He said, if you do not hate this life, you cannot be my disciple. Many people love this life too much. People are afraid to die. You know, it begins at an... Early stage when you, when you turn 40, 50, wrinkles begin to come uh, on your face and then, you know, that, that's why the plastic surgeons make a good leave, living of, of suckers like you and me, you know. Then even men go to plastic, especially TV preachers. If you look at, I'll be, I'll be blunt with you. If you look at some of this TV preacher and you say, how can this man be 80 years old and look like that? I can tell you. Thousands are spent on plastic surgery. That could be given to help people, feed the poor. and I mean, because people, people, you know what it is? People want to hold on to their youth. They, they, they're afraid of getting old because the older you get, the closer you are to the finish line. They, 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 want, to, they want to hold on to their youth. But the Bible says that youth and beauty are fleeting. Learn to age gracefully. Amen. Learn to age gracefully. There's, there's nothing as wonderful as, as, as being with older men and women of God who have aged gracefully. Hallelujah. I, I've been around people like that. But I've also been around people who look like fakes, you know, mannequins. You say... you know so, so so people are afraid of dying people are people want to hold on to their youth and the older they get they uh, they begin to worry you know, and a lot of people when the people I'm 68 and when i know people younger than me who worry about the legacy what will what you know what legacy is what will people say about me after i'm dead who cares <laughs> you know what my concern is my concern is who will be at the doors there waiting for me to come when I come and shake my hand and say, Christopher Alam, I'm here because you came and preached to me. Yes. So I'm not interested in my legacy. I'm interested in how big the crowd is that will be waiting for me when I walk into those gates. Yes. That should be our concern. Yes. Yes. Anyway. Anyway. TAKE UP YOUR CROSS. BE WILLING TO DIE. DON'T BE AFRAID TO DIE. AMEN? Amen. BELIEVE GOD for, live, uh, FOR LIFE. THE BIBLE SAYS, WITH LONG LIFE WILL I SATISFY HIM AND SHOW HIM MY SALVATION. I, I uh, CONFESS THAT EVERY DAY. AND I SAY, LORD, I WANT TO LIVE UNTIL I PREACH MY LAST MESSAGE, FULFILL MY DESTINY, THEN GIVE ME A COUPLE OF YEARS TO HANG OUT WITH MY GRANDCHILDREN. THEN I'M READY TO CHECK OUT. I DON'T WANT TO HANG OUT. SOME PEOPLE SAY, I WANT TO BE HUNDRED. I DON'T WANT TO LIVE TO BE A I've seen people who are 100 years old. <laughs> I don't want to be like that. I just want to live out until my batteries run out. And, and, you know, so I said, when should I retire? I said, retirement is not a concept found in the Bible, it's made stipulated by governments, you know. So I said, as long as your mind is clear, as long as your body is well and strong. AND YOU CAN HEAR FROM GOD, AND PEOPLE STILL GET SAVED AND HEALED AND BLESSED. WHEN YOU PREACH, STICK AROUND AND PREACH THE GOSPEL. AND DO THE WILL OF GOD. AND THEN when, WHEN TIME COMES, YOU FEEL, OKAY, IT'S DONE. I SAY, LORD, GIVE ME A COUPLE OF YEARS TO BE WITH MY GRANDKIDS AND JUST BE WITH THE FAMILY. AND THEN I'M READY TO CHECK OUT. I'M NOT AFRAID TO DIE. BECAUSE WHEN I DIE, GO TO THE OTHER SIDE, I'LL LIVE FOREVER. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more tears. Hallelujah. Let us live for eternity. Amen. Amen. So be willing to die. Be willing to lay down your life. And then the last thing, let him follow me. Follow Jesus. So as long as I live, I want to follow Jesus. Amen. And I'm sure you want to do the same. FOLLOW JESUS AS LONG AS I LIVE, NOT HAVE YOUR HOMESPUN AMERICAN RELIGION WHICH IS BUILT AROUND YOU, BUT I WANT TO FOLLOW JESUS. I WANT TO FOLLOW JESUS WHEREVER HE GOES AND DO WHATEVER HE WANTS ME TO DO BECAUSE THAT IS WHERE TRUE JOY AND SATISFACTION IS FOUND, AMEN? Amen. AND THE ULTIMATE GOAL, WHAT IS GOD'S ULTIMATE GOAL AND DESIGN WITH THIS It's found in Romans 8, verse 29. To be conformed to the image of his son. God is doing his work in us and to, uh, you know, to make us more like Jesus. And his ultimate goal is to, because we, you know, he's like the potter and we are like the clay and he's shaping us, forming us, doing his work in us and his ultimate goal is that one day we shall exactly be like Jesus and that's a lifetime project, right? And so, and, and that's why, you know, I'll be blunt with you, living on this earth, living by faith, it isn't for the faint hearted. DO YOU UNDERSTAND WHAT I'M SAYING? Yes. YOU HAVE TO CRUCIFY THE FLESH AND FOLLOW JESUS AND LIVE holy. THOSE THINGS, ALL THESE THINGS GO AGAINST THE GRAIN OF THE WORLD. YOU, you, you ARE, an, YOU KNOW, I REMEMBER WHEN BEFORE I WAS SAVED, IF YOU WANTED TO WATCH PORNOGRAPHY, you USED TO HAVE DIRTY MAGAZINES STASHED UNDER YOUR MATTRESS. NOW IT'S ON YOUR PHONE. You switch on your phone and there's images that are burnt into your eyes, into your brain and and, you know, and I tell you what, those things will possess you. People who watch pornography, it's not like a pastime, you know, they look at it and it's out of their system. No it's those images that you watch are burnt into your brain. It becomes like an addiction. And that's why you have to fight. You have to fight for holiness and, and fight for purity. And, and the only way you can fight and win is not to focus on these evil things that you are fighting, but it is to follow Jesus. Because if you follow Jesus with all of your heart and you choose Jesus in every situation, all, you know, all these things will fall off your life. Amen. Amen. So let, let us make a decision. I'm going to follow Jesus. And that is not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Some people want to live an easy Christian life. You come to church on Sunday, put money in the offering, then Monday to Saturday, you live exactly what you like. But you will never be happy that way. That's why many people are messed up. They're not really happy because they're trying to live in two worlds. You cannot. You can either be one or the other. So that, because you see, the way is narrow. Jesus said the way is narrow. It is a narrow way. Even rock music understands that because there's a stairway to heaven and there's a highway to hell. (laughs) It's easy to go to hell. It's easy. Do you understand what I'm saying? But to go to heaven, you have to walk a narrow way. Amen. But we can win because Jesus has already won the victory. And follow him. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Okay. So God's ultimate goal is to conform us to the image of his son so that we look like his son Jesus. That's one. it's not church attendance. It's not just having enough brownie points so we make it to heaven so I can say, oh, I'm born again, I'm saved, you know, I came to Billy Graham's altar call 40 years ago, so I'm born again. No, 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 no. It's not being that kind of born again, but the kind of born again that is full of fruit, full of testimonies, full of the light and the love and the power of God in your life. That's the kind of thing that God wants. Amen. Okay. The second verse about following Jesus is John 12, 26. Jesus said, and this is when he began to talk about how he was going to go to the cross and die. You remember, uh, 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 there were some Greeks who came and they uh, they said to two of his disciples, they said, Oh, we want to see Jesus. And they came to Jesus and said, There's some Greeks who want to see you. And Jesus said you know, he began, immediately began to talk about the cross and how he's going to die upon the cross. Then he said, you know, he's talking about his death on the cross. And then he says, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So the father will honor those who follow him. If I say I want to follow serve Jesus you know a lot of us want to serve Jesus we want to be servants I want to serve God in the ministry I want to serve God in the cafeteria I want to serve God in children's church whatever I want to there's many ways we can serve God but he says if you want to serve me follow me but he's talking about the context of the cross because at that moment he was preparing to go to the cross he said if you want to serve me then you follow me because I'm going to die upon the cross. If you don't want to come and die with me, you're welcome to follow me. That is the calling of God, to follow Jesus. And then the next thing about following Jesus, so the first following of Jesus is to follow Jesus, being willing to die, to take up your cross, the total radical decision to follow Jesus, even at the cost of your life, if that's what it takes. That, that was my experience. That, you know, I found out one thing. After 47 years as a Christian, I find out that the kind of gospel you get saved through, it can end up determining the, your perspective the rest of your life. If you come to Jesus through an easy chair gospel. You'll want to spend your life on that easy chair the rest of your life. So, the next thing about following Jesus is in Matthew 4.19. That's the next level. And he said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said this to Peter. Peter was a fisherman. He was a professional fisherman. He used to fish for fish. And in fact, the kind of fish that Peter used to catch is a, you, it's a fish that is unique to the Sea of Galilee. And if you go on an Israel trip, one part of the trip will be an obligatory trip to the Sea of Galilee where you will eat this fried fish which is called St. Peter's fish. So that when, you, when I remember when I ate that St. Peter's fish, I looked at it, I realized that was the kind of fish that Peter was fishing. But then Jesus said to Peter, when they came off the boat, he said, Peter, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. So Peter became a soul winner, preaching Jesus after that. So the first thing about following Jesus is taking up your cross, denying yourself following him. The second thing about following Jesus, Jesus wants to Jesus wants you to follow him so that you can be a fisher of men. <coughs> soul winner. Amen. Every Christian should be a soul winner. Amen. Thank you for the two weak amens on this corner. <laughs> <laughs> Every Christian should be a soul winner. And and let me tell you why many Christians are not soul winners. Because they have walked away from their first love. Do you remember when you first got saved? Think back if you have forgotten. How excited you were. You wanted everybody to find out. What had happened to you? You didn't care whether people made fun of you, whether they laughed at you, because you had a red-hot salvation experience and you felt that everybody should hear about it. Is that correct? But then sometime down the line, you lost that. And you settled into ordinary Christian life and you became like everybody else around you because that was the new normal. That being on fire for Jesus, that was no longer your normal. That used to be your normal. Now the new normal is look around you and you become a stuffed shirt like everybody else. And you don't realize it, that you walked away from your first love. And if you read the book of Revelation, when Jesus appeared to John, and he said, you have done a lot of good things, but I have one thing about against you. You have walked away from your first love. And then he said, so consider how far you have fallen. So to walk away from our first love, to lose that zeal and that fire, is a great fall. We might not think of it as a great fall. Some people might say, oh, you have matured. You're not so zealous anymore. Right? Some people will be so benign and they will say, that's almost like it's a good thing that you're not fired for God anymore. I prefer the new you than that old crazy you. But the Bible says it's a great fall. And that we should sit down and say, Lord, take me back to that place. Amen. Take me back to that place. Because I want to make my life count when I die. I want to reproduce myself. I want many others to be on their way to heaven because of my witness. Because when I die at my funeral... I don't just want people to say, oh, how successful I was in business and how much money I had and all those things don't matter. But what I want people to say about me was how many souls I won for Jesus. We had one man in our church, Brother Melhurst. He died a couple of years ago. That man, I mean, he was a businessman. He was a quintessential businessman. But he was a soul winner. I've been with him and... Wherever he would go, and you know, he would always make sure people heard the gospel. And then he would, he had this uh, expression, you know, he would always say to them, and uh, he says, uh, you know, it's an Americanism, I don't know it properly, but he, he said, When your tickets get punched, is that what you say? <laughs> right? When your ticket gets punched, will you be ready or something like that? I mean, he would just say, When is your time, are you ready? And he used to win souls for Jesus all the time. He was not in full-time ministry, he was a businessman, but he was, I mean, he was relentless. Right to the end of his life and at his funeral, he had all these people he had won for Jesus. They were at his funeral and they spoke at his funeral. And they were all successful businessmen and they were all like local business people and they met Melhurst through some business thing they were doing and he led them to Jesus. Hallelujah. Never lose your first love. Be a fisher of men. Jesus said to Peter, follow me, Peter, and I will make you a fisher of men. You may not know how to do it, but I will make you. Jesus will, if you decide to follow Jesus, you know, he's going to sit down with you and he's going to make you a fisher of men. He's not telling you to do it yourself. He's not going to give you a do-it-yourself kit and you say, I don't know how to be a fisher of men, but he's going to make you a fisher of men. That's why he has baptized us with the Holy Ghost and with fire so that we can preach the gospel and win the lost and do the works of Jesus. That's the second thing about following Jesus. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. I'll make you a soul winner. And that's for you and you and you, me, everybody else. Fisher of men. Amen? Amen? Now... THE NEXT THING IS IN 1 CORINTHIANS 11-1. THESE ARE THE WORDS OF THE APOSTLE PAUL. NOW THIS TAKES IT TO ANOTHER LEVEL. HE SAYS, BE YE FOLLOWERS OF ME, EVEN AS I ALSO AM OF CHRIST. NOW WE FOLLOW JESUS. BUT THIS IS INTERESTING. SOME PEOPLE SAY, OH, I DON'T FOLLOW ANY MAN. I FOLLOW JESUS. THAT'S NONSENSE. WE ARE ALL INFLUENCED BY PEOPLE. All of us who are here, our beliefs, what we believe is because we are influenced by men. Many Christians in America are overly politicized. They've got strong opinions. You know why? They listen to talk show radio. They didn't, they, they, they didn't come onto to these beliefs by themselves. They're not smart enough. But they listen to somebody. You spend more time listening to your favorite motor mouth and radio <laughs> than in the Bible. You'll think like them. You'll talk like them. In fact, they're... Their philosophies, their thinking, their, their words will possess you. That'll be the first thing you want to talk about. You don't. You sit with people. You don't want to talk about Jesus because, uh, really, you spend less time talking to Jesus than you do with these people. And you, you know, you go watch on. You go on TV, and you go, and and so, your mind gets filled with all these things. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that becomes a, because listen, it's good to understand this, that we are what we are and we believe what we believe because of how people have influenced us. Nobody says I'm not influenced by anybody. That's a lie. We are all influenced by others. But it depends upon what you listen to. That's why Jesus said, take heed what you hear. For well, the measure with which you give to yourself, that's the measure with which it will come out of you. So y- you have to take heed, you have to be careful what you hear. I'm careful what, what I hear. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why I'm careful uh, because I, don't, I listen neither to the right nor to the left, you know, politically because most of it is garbage anyway coming from both sides. And, and, and I, I honestly don't care. I don't. I don't. Because I am receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so, you know, so the, the thing is that uh, you just, you have to take heed to what you hear. And that's why it says, Paul says to them, listen, follow me as I follow Jesus. He didn't say follow me. Like many leaders say, oh, follow me. No, 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 no. That's how cults are born. Because a man says, follow me. No. I will follow anyone who follows Jesus. As long as I see Christ in you, I will follow you. Because I also need leadership. I also need to be influenced. So I'll follow somebody who follows Jesus. Someone follows Jesus, listen, you can count on me. I'll be there with you. If you say things that build me up, that change my life and make me more like Jesus, I will follow you because I, we all follow somebody. Amen. Amen? So Paul said, listen, follow me. But there's a caveat. Follow me <laughs> as long as you see me follow Jesus. The day you see me stop following Jesus, then you can leave me say goodbye. Amen? Amen. Amen. So it's also, you know, and people want to be leaders, but listen... Leadership is about following Jesus. The best thing a good leader can do is to follow Jesus. Because if he follows Jesus, others will follow him. And so when they follow him, they'll be following Jesus too. Right? So to follow Jesus is not an individualistic, isolationist exercise. Please, I'm not trying to knock anybody. We're doing the pandemic I was one of those people because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a young pup anymore. I was in my 60s, so I decided, you know, God wants me to preach the gospel, so I stayed at home on Sunday mornings. I did that. My wife and I, we would do church in our pajamas. Praise God for that. Sit with a cup of coffee, listen to the word of God. We did that every Sunday. But now that stuff is over. Yeah. That is, how many of you believe it's over? Amen? It's over. Amen? It's over. So, some, some people I don't understand. They want to fire Dr. Fauci, and yet they say the pandemic is still here, that's why I don't want to go to church. You can't have it both ways. <laughs> if the pandemic is still here <laughs> and you don't want to go to church, we need Fauci around. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? But if you want Fauci out because he's redundant, fine. Fauci, you're 80 years old. Thank you for your service. The United States thanks you. Go and live in retirement because the pandemic is over. So the pandemic is over. I'm going to church. Amen. And now, uh, you know, uh, let me, Pastor didn't ask me to say this. Nobody, but this is what I believe. Christianity, to follow Jesus, is not an isolationist, individualistic exercise. Oh, I sit at home, I get the message. Fine, you do. But that's not it. Because there is an individual following of Jesus. But there's also a collective following of Jesus. When I was in the army, there were individual things you did. You know, your rifle shooting, your you know, weapons training, all that individual. But then there was a collective element to it. You learn to move as a squad, as a platoon as a company, as a battalion, you you know, you were part of something bigger. So uh, here's the problem. Certain societies are, they think in a collective manner. You go to India, family is important, friends are important, relationships are important, collective. You go to Latin America, it's very much like that, right? You go to the African American community, it's all like that community. But many people in America, they have an individualistic. It's about me. I don't need anybody. I just need Jesus. No, you need people. You need people. You know what I mean? Listen, when you die, you'll need the church to bury you. (laughs) You don't say, I don't need anyone. I'll bury myself. When I know it's time to die, I will go to the cemetery and dig a hole and I will just lay there and at the last breath, I will just roll over into the grave. The only thing I will ask you to do just to put some dirt on me. No, we need each other. I need you. You need me. We need one another. There's a, there's a collective. There's a community. You know, because if you read the Bible, if you read the New Testament, there's that individualistic FOLLOWING OF JESUS, BUT THEN THERE ARE TIMES WHEN PAUL SPEAKS TO THE CHURCH, HE SPEAKS TO THE BODY. SOME OF THE THINGS THAT GOD SAYS ARE TO THE INDIVIDUAL AND SOME OF THE THINGS HE SAYS ARE TO THE BODY AND WE ARE BOTH. WE ARE BOTH INDIVIDUALS AND WE ARE THE BODY. SO, uh, YOU KNOW, SO WE we FALL, THANK GOD, WE CAN FOLLOW JESUS TOGETHER AS A BODY. Amen. 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 SO LIKE WHEN I'M HERE, I CAN SHOW YOU THOSE PICTURES AND I did that, but I could do that because of you, because you helped us and supported us. So there's that individualism. If I said, you know, I don't need the churches, I I don't need anybody, I will do it myself. I couldn't do it by myself. I couldn't. Doesn't matter how gifted or anointed I am, I couldn't do it. I need you. We need one another. Amen? Amen? Now, I want to end by this. Pastor, can I have two more minutes? Hebrews 13, verse 7. This is the last scripture. ABOUT FOLLOWING JESUS, AND PAUL SAID, FOLLOW ME. HE SAYS, REMEMBER YOUR LEADERS WHO SPOKE THE WORD OF GOD TO YOU. CONSIDER THE OUTCOME OF THEIR WAY OF LIFE AND IMITATE THEIR FAITH. THIS IS A PART OF FOLLOWING JESUS, IS FOLLOWING LEADERS WHO GOD HAS PUT OVER OUR LIFE. WE ARE ALL AT A, IN in THE ARMY WE HAD A CHAIN OF COMMAND. I commanded a rifle company of infantry, and when, when I was, when I stood before my company, I tell you, I was, for them, I was like a god. I could say anything, and they had to do it, right? That was my command level, but when I stood in front of my colonel, I used to shake like a leaf because I was both that and I was also this. So I I was under his command. If If he told me to jump, I would say, sir, how high do you want me to jump? No question. So we are all part of a structure. And as you grow and mature in the Lord, you'll find yourself that you are a leader because maybe not an officially ordained or appointed leader, but the very fact that people look up to you and they ask you questions, they look to your life as an example, that makes you a leader by default. And then there are others who you look up to you who are your leaders. So we all have leaders at different levels. So it says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Remember those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome or the result of how they lived and imitate their faith. So. I've had many uh, father figures, leaders in my life. And two of the main ones I think of, one was Dad Hagen. I was very close to him. And I think he spoke the word of God to him. So I look at the outcome of his way of life. I look at how he lived and how he died and the fruit of his life. I look at those things. And so what do I do? I imitate his faith. I don't imitate his mannerisms. You know, I know one preacher, because Brother Hagan had this thing, he used to walk twiddling his thumb. So I know one preacher, he walks like this, and because of this, he thinks he has Brother Hagin's anointing. <laughs> and this is a grown-up man. <laughs> you know. A brother Hagin's anointing, so he walks like this when he preaches. No. Don't imitate their mannerisms or, or their accent. You know, Brother Hagen had this nasal, texas voice. I couldn't talk like that even if I tried to. I, I don't want to, you know, but I imitate his faith. When you see men and women of God who, who, who cross your way and you see how God is using them and you, know, you see fruit in people's life, THE BEST THING YOU CAN DO IS imitate THEIR FAITH. I SAY, OKAY, I want, I WANT TO HAVE FAITH LIKE THIS GUY. HALLELUJAH. AND THAT'S WHAT I DO, NOT JUST TO PEOPLE LIKE BROTHER HAGAN or, OR, YOU KNOW, OR, or PASTOR COLIN Arkard, WHO WAS ALSO A FATHER FIGURE IN MY LIFE, but, BUT JUST PEOPLE IN GENERAL. WHEN I SEE SOMEBODY IS REALLY, HAS THE TOUCH OF GOD IN HIS LIFE, HE CAN BE YOUNGER, HE CAN BE OLDER, I look, I look at him, they catch my eye, and I want to imitate their faith. <laughs> Hallelujah. What's the outcome of their lives? What's the result of their life? See what has happened to them and how they have lived their life and what has come out of their lives and then the next thing. Okay, I can't be like him. I'm not him, I'm me, he's he, but there's one common denominator, his faith. I can imitate his faith. Hallelujah. Amen.